Welcome everyone to our second community call. Uh, we have plenty of updates since the last community call we did, uh, namely asserting like our final tokenomics schedule, our final emission schedule, and also the major development uh, update we've had so far was completing our MVP. Uh, that's what we're currently showing to investors and interested uh, parties for the seed round. Uh, we'll also like if everything goes up to par, we'll also like take some time after we've discussed like the final white paper revision, the emissions and the tokenomics schedule. We'll take some time to display the MVP. Um, I'm just like for now. I'm just trying to figure out like if if <laughs> the video spaces for Discord decides to work because uh, apparently it's not universal. But worst case scenario, we can just like migrate everyone to a chat room so that I can share my screen and show all of the necessary updates to everyone. So yeah, I'm gonna pass on to Alphaki. He's going to just give some quick uh, summary of uh, the white paper updates. So um, back to you, Alpha. Sure, so I guess it's kind of weird that the screen share is not working, is that correct? Yeah, it's not because apparently it's not a universal feature to every single platform for Discord. Like I've tested that on mobile when we got the server boost and it was working up uh, as expected, but it's not right now. Uh, for okay, desktop, cool. Which is weird, but we can solve that with just so, uh, migrating everyone to like a regular voice chat room. So that's not a big issue. What what I'll do is I'll drop the the white paper doc here, and I'll just go section by section and take you guys through it, kind of like what I was thinking as I wrote each of these sections. And then, um, yeah, we can sort of move on to the next topic. So in the introduction, starting the introduction, I draw the difference between what is a directional automated market maker and autom automated market maker. So directional is you want to buy and hold, right? In this range, anything that I buy, I want to hold in the position. It does not go back into the pool. And therefore, when the price of that thing goes up, I will be in a position to lock in profit. Any questions about the introduction before we move on to the next section? You guys can just drop them in the stage chat if you have anything. Okay, so now moving on to the motivation. So I discussed the, the issue of impermanent loss, right? And the, the fact that this impermanent loss comes from the difference between the market price and the price that your liquidity position sold at. So if we say, okay, the price of ETH is 5,000 and our position uh, sold one ETH from 3,000 DAI to 5,000 DAI, because that's the range that we set, and then the, that one ETH will be sold at an average of about 38.68 die per ETH. And if we just held ETH, right, we would be able to sell it at 5,000 die per ETH. So that loss that we experience is 1,131 die, which is the difference between the market price and the price that our position sold that so i basically say okay there's there's a few ways that we can fix this issue right we can say well one let's not let's just not provide liquidity at all because if the price goes up of something like eth then basically i'm going to lose out uh, versus buying and holding of course you get the fees but i've I think a lot of users are finding that these, these trading fees uh, are not enough at some point to keep up with the, the, the loss from, from volatility. The second uh, option, and this is difficult for a lot of users, 
is using an option, a perpetual, or some derivative. But a lot of times you run into liquidity issues, right? So there's not going to be a ton of liquidity for you when you need to lock in that profit to cover your impermanent loss. So this might be a, a solution for some, but the problem is, of course, it scaling and then also working for um, a large number of users. And then sort of the, the third option that I'd propose is that you buy and hold the, the assets, uh, the one that you think is going to increase in price over time. The important thing that I think to recognize here is that uh, each of these options that I outline without providing liquidity to the market results in there being less liquidity as a whole across DeFi. So if we now uh, introduce this concept of directional automated market makers, it means that we can support the needs of people to buy and hold, right? And get the profit from that while also providing liquidity to the market at the same time. And of course, the bigger range that we are going to buy or sell across, so like if we're going to sell ETH from 3,000 DAI per ETH to 5,000 DAI per ETH, that's going to save us quite a bit of gas versus doing a lot of swaps over that same range, right? And we can take this slow approach where, you know, we uh, sort of average into something and then we average out of something. And we don't have to be certain about what the price is. We don't have to create an order and then keep moving it. We can set as big of a range as we want to and uh, do so in, in a very gas efficient way. So going into the, the overview section, I define directional liquidity AMMs as a smart contract where we only have liquidity trading in one direction, right? So instead of we put up DAI and ETH and traders can come and they can trade it, swap it from DAI to ETH or ETH to DAI, we say, here is ETH. You can only swap this ETH to DAI. That is it. And that's because any DAI that I get, I want to keep, right? Maybe you got a really good price you sold your ETH at a really good price. So like, I want to hold that die for, for myself. So um, the, the swaps are irreversible. So it's, it's held in your position. And then we have different liquidity on either side. So the liquidity for ETH to die is going to be different than the liquidity for die to ETH. And that's because users have said like, I only want this to trade in one direction. So the, the two things that we're using uh, these sort of principles for are first cover pools, which is meant to um, kind of resolve impermanent loss for users, right? Because they are unlocking liquidity as the price moves up. So as the price of ETH goes up, we're going to unlock some die to buy ETH. And then we're going to hold that ETH, right? And so if we keep doing this in the range of 3,000 to 5,000 DAI, then we get to a profit of 1,131 DAI, which will cover our impermanent loss. Second, we have price pools, which uh, moves the same direction as liquid pools today. And so if the, the range orders, we're like, I want to sell ETH to die from, you know, 3,000 to 4,000 die per ETH. The difference, of course, is that we apply the buy and hold where any ETH that you sell in that range, you're going to keep that die. And, you know, you, you, can, you can lock in that profit without you having to go and mess around with anything. It just does that for you. You can come back whenever. Uh, and that position will be however however much filled it is. 
And the cool thing about this is that you can actually uh, undercut the, the market. So if the price of ETH is, uh, you know, 3000 you could say, ah, oh, you know, I'll give a slight discount and then someone's going to come and scoop that up and you'll get out of the market really quickly. This might be good for something like a low cap coin, right? Uh, where you say, okay, well, I want to get out really quickly. So I'm going to give a better price than, than the rest of the market, which is really cool for people that are very active in, in trading. And then people that are not active, they could just say, okay, um, you know, I'm going to buy USDC below peg 98 to 99 cents, and I'm going to sell it above peg. So that's like a very simple uh, way to, to apply uh, price pool slash price liquidity. Does anybody have any questions so far? Uh, you can definitely drop them in the, the stage chat if anything comes to, to top of mind. So let's let's start to dive into um, kind of how these pools actually work under the hood. Uh, the cover one kind of being the the one where we have to manage volatility, right? So basically, you are um, taking on some risky position, right? So let's let's say mm, you want to sell ETH when the price gets to 1,000 DAI per ETH. When the the weighted average price gets to 1,000 DAI per ETH, what we will do is we'll say, okay, you have this range that you're going to sell your ETH over, and basically we will give a 0.2% uh, uh, spread or discount, it doesn't change the price at which your liquidity trades at. It just means that we unlock it slightly early because basically we're trying to get slightly ahead of the market. So the arbitragers will say, okay, I'll take that 0.2% discount and then I'll go you know, uh, sell that somewhere else. So. Um, then they're, you know, they're going to buy the ETH from you at a 0.2% uh, discount. Then they'll go and sell it on another pool, and you know, they'll they'll get that difference, that that arbitrage. And if we didn't get enough ahead of the market by getting that 0.2% spread, every block we're going to improve the price for the trader up to what I propose to be another 0.2%. So in the end, your position uh, could be at worst, you'll get like, let's say like a 0.2% slippage. It's effectively slippage if you want to think of it that way. And what this, me what this means in the end is that you don't have to manage the position at all. You just put it up. And if the price gets there, then uh, it is going to um, arbitrage are going to come in and, and take over. That's that's the the goal. So as long as the price doesn't move too fast, then it's going to be able to to sell all of the the liquidity which you have. If it does move too fast, we're going to mark that range as being unfilled, and that unfilled portion will be shared uh, by everybody. So because everything is pooled, everything is shared. So that unfilled amount is, is shared amongst everybody and it's on a per liquidity unit basis, basically the same as everything is in, in Uniswap B3 today. So the, the, major, the major trick, um, I'm gonna wrap this part of the call up in a few minutes. The major trick that we're employing here is that we're using a timekeeping mechanism. And so for the price positions, what we do is we say that, okay, when we, let's say you have a USDC position from 98 cents to a dollar. And let's say that position trades down to 99 cents. So you got filled down to 99 cents. We will mark that last tick that we touched uh, based on the time. 
So the, the timekeeping mechanism that we're using here is the feed growth. And we basically, we know when your position was created. Let's say it was created at feed growth zero. Bunch of trades happen, then we whatever the last tick is that we cross, we're gonna mark that tick and say it was crossed at this feed growth, which of course is gonna be greater than zero. So then basically we know what range of your, if you wanna call it a limit order got filled. And this is basically the magic where the gas cost is in line with Uniswap V3 or even better. And of course, we're launching first in Arbitrum. So the, the gas cost there will be on the order of, you know, 10, 20 cents, something like that is what I'm guessing. Somewhere in there. And yeah, on Ethereum mainnet, the costs being the same as what it is for you, the three position would be about like $60. So it's, it's very reasonable from a gas cost perspective. And we're just basically using this timekeeping mechanism uh, for the cover positions is like fairly, fairly similar. Um, and this is the magic of, of, uh, of this whole design. <laughs> so yeah, that is, um, I would say that's sort of the overview of the white paper. Uh, at some point I will be releasing more details on the price pool contracts and how that is actually tracked. But like, I definitely wanted to give some time for people to digest what I did from the cover side of things. And yeah, I think, I think that this is, uh, obviously I'm biased, but I think th these kind of solutions are, are really important simply because to do, to do this, uh, if you want to do the exact same thing from off chain, like, okay, from 3000 to 5,000 die, every time the TWAP moves up, I'm going to do a swap. You would have to do 5,000 swaps. And the gas cost of that on Ethereum mainnet would be about 60,000 DAI USD. If you just simply create a position and let the smart contract manage it for you, then you're talking about $60. So to get this level of precision and sophistication <laughs> is basically one, like it's like 1,000th of, of the cost here. So I think, I think it will be quite good for users uh, that don't want to have to, that, that don't have the means to set up like a sophisticated trading shop or anything like that. And uh, still kind of like know how this is working under the hood and it's transparent and there's nobody pulling the strings that's like managing how this works under the hood. And yeah, that's, that's the goal of all this. So, uh, that's, that's pretty much the, the white paper in summary. And I think we can kind of leave the last 10 minutes for the community to answer, ask questions and, you know, maybe for Nexus and me and just sit here and have some discussion. If nobody has any questions. Okay, I see somebody sent me a question. And also if you guys want to raise your hand as well and, and come up on stage, I think that would be okay as well. Oh, hey, there we go. Hello guys, how are you all? Uh, hello, Alpha Kisar, I want to ask, uh, is there any plan with partnership with other uh, project in StarkNet? Like I'm working with JD Swap, uh, automatic market maker as community manager. Uh, so if we, so we'll go together, then we can go achieve the target uh, more confidently. So if there are any pro, uh, pro program to 
project collaboration with other StarkNet project? Yeah, so definitely a good question. Uh, at current, we don't have any plans to deploy or build on StarkNet, but like I think if that becomes attractive to us in the future, it's definitely something that, that we could look at. Um, right now we're we're mainly we'll basically go where the where the users are right so currently most of the users are on ethereum are on arbitrum where there's been a lot of organic growth we've we've actually seen the arbitrum tvl has not really dropped off in the last like six months plus and i you know i think that's because of like basically the people that they've brought together kind of like organically so we're definitely focused on ecosystems with like the largest organic growth. And like for now, I think that's Arbitrum. I think that's Ethereum. And beyond that, like, I think we'll definitely have to think strategically about where we want to deploy this and like where the users kind of want us to go. Um, so yeah, definitely in the future, uh, StarkNet is, is, is totally possible. Um, we just kind of have to see like what users, uh, want from, from a product standpoint. Great. So good. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, Deus raised his hand. I just invited you to speak. I think I just invited him to speak. I think yes, you have to accept Deus. Also, Mano has asked a question. He said, what exactly is the timekeeping mechanism? Is this part of the smart contract? Yes. So in the case of price, we can use the fee growth. And that is kept by the smart contract. For the cover, oh, Ari just came on stage. OK. Uh, for for the, the cover, we are also using something similar. So yes, it's part of the, it's part of the smart contract and it is not related to the price Oracle. There's no, there's no Oracle for that. I see someone else is, is typing a question. Also, feel free to raise your hand if you want to come up on stage. All right, let's bring up Kozas. Yeah, Hello. hey everyone. Hey Alpha. Uh, first of all, uh, yeah, I mean, kudos for all of that. Uh, that I mean, that you written in the white paper and all the plans and everything. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, do you have any exact, I mean, uh, dates uh, for the audits and the testnet and, and so forth? And also maybe some partnerships that you were thinking of, some interesting uh, crossovers or something like that? Yeah, so first question is on the smart contract audit timeline. We've uh, already gotten a quote from somebody 
Um, we've been talking with uh, Veridice, which is a their very comprehensive uh, auditing firm. They have formal verification tools, which basically that's just like here's the the, the set of inputs, um, the total set of inputs. This is what I expect the smart contract to do, and just verifies like all of that is correct. And of course, they'll be doing manual audit as well. I will, uh, I will drop one of their audits, or I can. I'll, I'll drop one of their audits in the stage chat. And then the second thing was specifically around like partnerships. Like, where is our head at in regards to that? So, the two biggest things that need to be focused on for any decentralized exchange right now is definitely stable coins and um, liquid staking derivatives, and. I've already gotten a lot of signal that this is something that's very attractive for larger players. Like I, I'm, I won't drop any names here um, because of course, like nothing material, but um, there's definitely, we've definitely seen a lot of interest from liquid staking derivatives players and stablecoin players on being able to buy and hold in like what they would consider safe ranges. So like outside of peg, right? Like uh, below peg and above peg, and right, the hope is that like this creates a more liquid market where they can basically buy and hold, take those profits and reinvest them into to their liquidity position. And that's what I think like stablecoin players and liquid staking players will realize that like we have uh, uh, built and uh, can like harbor that very well. And that's what I think will be attractive uh, about like the the protocol that we're building initially. Nice man. I mean, uh, the idea itself is is so fucking good that I mean, uh, I, <laughs> it's gonna do well. I, I mean, itself it's pretty it's pretty uh, simple, I would say. But but yeah. the the problems it solves it's it's fucking amazing, man. So just keep going. I'm excited. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Like the signal and positive feedback that we keep getting is is just gives us more conviction. Um, I see Ava wants to come up on stage. Any other questions? Uh, no, man, it's all it's all good. Cool. Let's let's bring up uh, let's bring up Ava on stage. And I do have to hop in like like one minute. So Nexus, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. I I will continue the community call. Like the next uh, main points would be just like giving a final overview of our uh, revised tokenomics and the emission schedule. And then showing off just a sneak peek of our current state of the MVP. Uh, we will need to create like a separate public voice chat for that because like the voice, uh, the voice, uh, voice, uh, excuse me, video stages uh, feature of Discord turns out it's a beta feature. So it's only available for select users and select platforms. So it is not available as of now, but we can easily fix that by just transitioning to a regular chat room where I will share my screen and you can have visual prompts for my rundowns pretty much. Also, Alpha, if you could set up that public that public voice chat room, I would appreciate it. Yeah, I think maybe a Zoom call or something like that. Where no, because a Zoom call a Zoom call has a hard cap on on uh, visitors. So, like, if you could literally just set a public chat, a public voice chat room there, that would be more than enough for the full audience to transition there, so I can show them visual prompts. Uh, can you can you jump to the there's the voice chat channel? Is that unrestricted to all roles? Yeah, yeah, it should uh, be. Oh, okay, okay, okay. If if that is the case, okay, then it's fine. So does anyone else have any questions? Uh, if not, we would transition, we would start transitioning into the other room so I can give you guys the tokenomics plus emissions plus MVP rundown. Uh, I mean, if if there if there are no if there are no further uh, questions, we can start transitioning into the voice chat room. If everyone would be up for it, I will go there now. And uh, oh wait, we have uh, Ari going. Oh okay, uh, okay, we have one last question then. Uh, I guess not. So okay, let's. Uh -oh. just... 
Oh, hi. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, we were about to. Yeah, yeah, but uh, shoot, shoot, like, shoot your question before we we switch to the room. Oh, uh, where can I get more information about the uh, formulas in the white paper? Uh, I mean, like the our main sources of documentation are currently uh the the, the docs themselves that we have uh, up in our page, and also the white paper which you can refer to. If there are other um, if there's any more specific questions you would like to ask, I can definitely pull out the key back up. Okay, thanks. Well, like either way, Ari, I think like if you can uh, set up your question back there, like I think uh, Alpha can definitely take some time to answer to that. We're just like running tight on time. So I would ask everyone now to join the voice chat room. So then like I can keep on going to the following subjects then. I will join now. I'll wait like two or three minutes for everyone to join. Would ask everyone to mute their microphone because the permissions are not the same. But yeah, from there, like we'll do the rest of the, the call. Thank you. Thank you all and see you in one minute. Okay, perfect. Uh, so being that said, like I just given some overhead time, I think like since we are uh, kind of tight on time, I'm going to start running uh, the tokenomics down. Um, so uh, this model we have decided upon. Um, I think like on our previous community call, we've already given you a general rundown on how uh, this system would work, sort or less, for whoever was not present. I can just give a quick explanation. So uh, just going to put on the visual prompt for the uh, here. Like this is, a, this is like a tokenomic concept we've engineered, sort of based on uh, vote escrow mechanics to try and incentivize further use further usage of the protocol this uh will pretty much like divide the fee accrual from pools like uh, back into uh, lp um token losses and we'll also like have this small percentage that we'll use to incentivize further governance like our final goal is for uh people to um just one second. Can everyone mute so that like it's more clear? Like the if the, you don't mind, uh, Julian, can can you just mute? I know like this is not the best UX to have like a call. It's just like so I can have like proper references to stuff. Okay, I'm just gonna user mute, um, and then like we'll go from there, I guess. Uh, either way, um, going back to what I was saying, um, this is a concept we've engineered in order to incentivize volume on the platform. As I was saying, like all fees from LPs will be redistributed to back into LPs or to token lockers to uh, incentivize governance. Since we intend on being like as permissionless as we can, like we'll give users the choice to make meaningful decisions on how the mechanics of the protocol will work. Uh, namely, uh, for example, minimum daily volume thresholds to be uh, for pools to be eligible for the centripetal mining program, how the ratios will be readjusted, uh, maybe even uh, readjustments of inflation for emission schedules. All those decisions will be up to governance after we've done our full launch. So uh, I'm just going to run you down very quickly on how the protocol revenue distribution will work. As you can see, like there's gonna be whitelisted base pairs, which will be like main pairs or which will be main pairs for uh, USDC, Ether, USDT, wrapped Ether, and wrapped Bitcoin. Like because these are like the most meaningful pairs in uh, all DeFi protocols that handle liquidity. We'll also have another threshold, as I was saying earlier, that will encompass. A minimum of daily volume that is still to be announced but as i said after we've done our initial metric assessment uh it will be up to governance to readjust this according to what is uh the most healthy for the protocols like long-term health so to say so 
Uh, going back to the proportions, so eligible range pools pass on 50% of their fees to the fee distributor. So like 50% stays with the actual LPs, another fee, uh, 50% goes to the fee distributor. Then 2.5% of fees go to governance to incentivize uh, active go governance per uh, participation. 35% of fees go to acquired FINA. FINA is going to be our token. Uh, both FINA and acquired FINA will be used for governance pr uh, purposes. So like uh, whoever locks in acquired FINA is getting like boosted emissions from the protocol, which means like users can participate in the centripetal mining program and get emissions from that just by locking the token. The principle behind this is first incentivizing token holders to get emissions by locking the token and at the same time creating more scarcity for the token uh, due to that, to that those tokens not being in circulation. Um, for the for the range pools, as you can see, like the fee distribution is going to be slightly different from the cover pools and the price pools, and this is why. So the range pools, as you may have seen by reading the docs in the white paper, uh, are more based out of fee accrual than actual utility from directional mechanisms. This is not the same case as for cover pools and price pools. Because for cover pools and price pools, uh, the, the, the real value with using these is the utility to accrue from like uh, getting to have like access to buy and hold strategies in a given range. So uh, the, the concepts are sort of different. In cover and price pools, we are more providing like utility, whereas in the range pools, we're providing a fee accrual mechanism more that is more similar to how conventional LP fee accrual works. So this is why like the uh, the fee the fee uh, the fee programs are kind of different. So uh, for cover pools, we have a, a fifty basis point withdrawal fee whenever a user wants to withdraw uh, coverage for a given position. As you may already know, like from the docs and white paper as well, we'll give the option for users to cover their uh, range or price uh, pools or even positions from other DEXs and aggregators. Initially, we'll offer coverage for UniV3 pools as well, but this will eventually expand to other like DEXs and aggregators such as like uh, SushiSwap, uh, Curve, like other big players in the DeFi ecosystem then ha handle uh, similar mechanisms. So for these two, 65% of fees go back into the DAO treasury. This treasury will be used for uh, operations, protocol-related operations and costs related to governance decisions. And then like 35% of those fees, like being those like swapping fees or withdrawal fees will go back into acquired FINA lockers. So that, um, so that we can keep incentivizing uh, token locking and participation in governance. Uh, as you can see, like since like the 35% come from like all pools in general, uh, this the average is very close to this. Um, when it comes like to the DAO treasury, like uh, we've did a small update here, so the DAO treasury will now get 10% of fees, like for operational costs according to governance proposals, and the 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 team will be covered with uh, another 10%, so that like we can keep sustaining uh, uh, the costs that are needed to maintaining the team's expenses and to keep building uh, products that you will be eventually interested on. So um, this is kind of the final rundown of the tokenomics. Uh, if you guys have any questions, feel free to like unmute uh, your microphones and just shoot questions or maybe write them in the stage chat, whatever you deem better. I'm just going to pass on to the supply mission schedule, being that said. So in summary, like this is going to be the initial allocation we're going to have. So like 15% uh, will go on to the team, 10% to the seed round investors, 15% um, to the DAO treasury, 55% uh, uh, to LP providers, uh, getting these through emissions from the liquidity, the centripetal mining program and 10% eventually being phased out through uh, quarterly airdrops that will most likely be the result of uh, emissions that the 
the DAO slash team treasury will get from uh, investing in our own positions. Like uh, we do not believe in protocol on liquidity because that, that in our opinion can like uh, tip the scales uh, too much in favor of whoever's in charge of like uh, team matters. And we don't want to do that as we, I said earlier, we want to incentivize active governance from whoever is the end user. So like we want the end users to have part governance participation in meaningful decisions that will impact the general outcome uh, for the protocol. So like those, all those emissions that we're going to accrue are going to be phased out through airdrops in the first 24 months of the protocol's launch to incentivize uh, more usage by the end users. So this is like the general like um, pie chart, so to say, grabbing this. The total will be 20 million tokens. Um, this, these are just some metrics that our BIS team came up with for the first 24 months in uh, our centripetal mining program. Um, the, the, the multiplier is subject to change whenever we have better market conditions, as you can see here. Again, like uh, if we do uh, change those on our end, that will always be sub subject to governance proposals as well. So like there will be governance proposals drafted by the team and then it's up to the users that can actively participate in governance to do so and to um, pretty much like voice their concerns or their approval uh, when it comes to those matters. Uh, so like the total the total uh, emission inflation we are planning for the next two years is 13%. We think this is a very conservative value that will strike up a nice balance between us having steady enough emissions and also for the users to not be overly diluted due to the centripetal mining program. Um, this is our general general schedule for em monthly emissions. Um, as you can see, I mean, these are a lot of numbers to crunch up right now, so I'm just going to give you a quick summary. Um, we have decided since uh, the investors will get a smaller uh, total supply allocation than the team to end the vesting earlier for investors and to also like compress the time scale for the full investing to occur so that the investors and the team will always have similar proportions of tokens coming out so that like we can uh, do that as a good uh, goodwill gesture for uh, front run uh, for <laughs> for investors not to be afraid to be front run by the team. Either way, like the own team dumping tokens is always a problem because we don't want them to be doing that um, because like that would show we don't have faith in the project, which we do. So uh, that is more of like just incentives for any like uh, periodic expenses that the team will need to have, so to say. So um, since our uh, token, uh, since our token incentives are planned to be launched in early Q3, uh, we count those six months from six to seven months from here to there to be like sort of a pseudo vesting because our seed round is going to end in mid-February. So we're gonna count those extra months as pseudo vesting as well. Hence the vesting being so short for investors. So uh, investors will have the first two months after the token incentive launch being completely vested, then they will start to get invested after month number three. And this will extend itself into month number 35, uh, 34, actually. So there will be 31 months of uh, actual uh, investing. Uh, this will count as 34 months from token incentives launch. We can add six to eight months from now to the actual token incentive launch. For the team, after the token incentive launch, uh, we'll have five months where uh, the tokens will be fully vested, and then they will start getting invested in month six, going into month 69. Again, not intentional, <laughs> but uh, this investing will occur over a 63-month period. Then again, like the investing for the team will be way longer than for investors, as as I said, a goodwill gesture so that investors can be sure that we will not be in a bigger control of the token allocation uh, when in comparison to them. So pretty much we've extended the schedule so that the absolute uh, quantitative emissions value would be more in line with what the investors are getting, as you can compare here. The investors are always getting more tokens than the team for the aforementioned, aforementioned reasons. 
so yeah, pretty much the conclusion of this is that um, we are trying to strive for a more balanced protocol usage between LPs, lockers, governance participants, and even investors by reinvesting into our own pools by by doing so. And we hope that this will be a more efficient solution than what other protocols have been going for when it comes to like liquidity mining and vault escrow mechanics. So yeah, uh, if you want to have, if you want to like uh, drop out any questions about this, feel free to do so on the stage chat, or you can unmute yourself and just go for that. Uh, yeah, sure I can. It's uh, I'm gonna drop it on the chat. Just one second. Here's my Twitter handle. Okay, uh, Mano asked the question of of which tokens will the treasury be made of. Um, so uh, the the treasury, like the team treasury, will mostly be built out of stables because that is what our seed round investments will come as. Uh, eventually, from investing, uh, from uh, adding positions to our own protocol, we will accrue fees that will be like directional fees from the directions of the pools we decided to invest on, uh, plus uh, FINA tokens. For uh, for the other native uh, fee accrual and profit accrual mechanisms for our own pools, those will stay in uh, the DAO treasury to be able to like sustain like whatever uh, financial investments need to be made out of governance proposals, for example. When it comes to FINA tokens and acquired FINA, like acquired FINA will not be there because like we, as I said before, we are not intending to keep our own tokens in our treasury. We want to phase those out. So like the tokens we're gonna get from liquidity mining from being in our own positions will be phased out through quarterly airdrops in order to further incentivize the protocol's usage. This airdrop will be phased to whoever is participating in the centripetal mining program, be that like participating in governance, locking tokens into acquired FINA, uh, in like depositing in either range, cover, or price pools. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. No worries. Uh, my pleasure to answer all questions that arise. Uh, let me know if you guys have any questions. If not, I will uh, pass on to the last point of the community call, which will be like just running up a quick demo of the current state of our MVP. So assuming we are done with the questions, I can uh, run you guys down do a quick rundown on the MVP. Let me just start up the local interface. Just a few seconds. Okay. So let me just refresh this. Okay. So um, this this is our interface. This is the interface for, for our swap page. It's rather minimalistic and simple. There isn't much to be, <laughs> there isn't much innovation to do on this end. Um, I mean, the swap page works as any typical DeFi swap would work. Uh, we'll also have uh, a limit bracket uh, to do limit orders uh, using our directional mechanisms. We'll have this is placeholder information for now. We just need to complete the contracts to be able to fetch this, inf uh, put this information from the back end into a subgraph and consequently into the front end. But this is some of the information you could expect to know on a given swap, like the expected output, possible price impact, the minimum received after defined slippage, and the network fee, which will be like calculating a gas estimate for uh, the current network that the contracts will be deployed on, which will be arbitrum at first. So for the pool page, uh, this is still like completely sponsored by Circle. 
So <laughs> this is just like a placeholder because as of now, we are only like uh, completed on the um, cover contracts. In a few weeks, we'll have everything set up and we can do a more uh, in-depth functionality run through on the user flows. But we have all the UI elements for now. So I can just give you a rundown on how it would work. Uh, the pools created by the user or the positions created by the user would show up here. The list of pools would show up here, down here, where you could select between concentrated and directional liquidity pools. You could have the option to create your own pool. Um, then again, just as a side note, like for example, uh, we can like going back to the point of like wanting to incentivize governance. For example, one of the decisions that could be nice for uh, people that actively participate in governance is if the pools that are going to be created uh, will rake in fees for whoever created them or not. That could be a very relevant decision to do uh, using governance for that outcome. But yeah, for example, going into a pool, like we can check like what's the liquidity deposited for a pool. Like if it's a concentrated liquidity pool, you can have like a pair of assets. If it would be like a directional pool, you would only have an asset going into another asset. Whereas in like from entering in the range, when it would move in a favorable position, this would automatically readjust according to the direction we're going to. And this would be the price range that would be described for either like a range pool or a cover pool or a price pool. And then this is what we've been working the most on, given the contracts, it's uh, our cover pools page. Um, we, we will like put on display like uh, the pool shark uh, cover pools, uh, the Uni V3 pools that you, the Uni V3 pools that the user has, so that it, the user can cover on top of that. Eventually, we'll have like a divider where it will uh, parse these positions and give you a recommended amount of amount to cover for the given amount of tokens in the same kind of uh, token. For example, if you have uh, wrapped ether to die, it will uh, wrap ether and die. It will calculate, calculate the direction and saying like you need to deposit X amount of wrapped ether into DAI to be able to fully cover this position. Um, so uh, just to give you a rundown of the user flow itself, like we don't have user positions here. That's what we're working on right now. But the, how the user flow would work is, for example, I would approve 100 of token one. One second. Okay. A toast gets thrown to like check the transaction being confirmed. You can also check it on Everscan while it is being processed. Just need to wait a while. Girlie isn't the fastest. <laughs> uh, as you can see, like after some parsing on Everscan side, uh, you can check all the transaction details for. Uh, this is just a simple approval, so I don't need to show any further details on this. Um, let me just refresh, just a small bug we have. Um, so like after the approval, like this is also like a small bug. We are working on this. We're almost done with like fixing this. Uh, we can create a cover. Uh, for example, I take those 100 tokens, 100 token A that was approved, and I'm going to create a cover position. You can see transaction being confirmed, same flow. By the way, like this is the success of the approval transaction. Okay, transaction was confirmed. A position, a cover position was minted using a hundred token one. Uh, so, like, after a given time, like uh, if we are accruing fees from liquidity being tapped into, we can uh, call the collect function so that like we can collect fees for that position of course like since this was almost instant it won't collect any fees but just to show it as a proof of concept that in fact like there's a, a possibility to collect fees at any time being that there's enough fee accrual for that to be doable given the gas fees that the user is going to spend while this gets confirmed i can also show like the uh mint function like mint function was approved so a cover position was minted in this case Okay, we have a successful transaction for creating a cover position. After this transaction goes through, we pretty much have a cover position created, in this case with 100 dummy token ones. 
So technically, if you were to like just looking at the regular user flow, if you were to like cover one of these positions, it would tell you, as I said before, it would tell you the recommended amount. Could be that that can be main, maintained by the user itself. So if the user doesn't want to cover that position 100%, like the user can choose to like deposit less collateral in a cover position to cover other positions. Or if the user wants to over collateralize for some reason, the user will also have the chance to. And uh, the user will also have the chance to like define ranges uh, here, you know, the user will also have the, the chance to do so, like to define like a minimum range and a maximum range for which um, the position will, for the range for which the position will be covered, because just giving a quick rundown, uh, referring back to the docs and white paper, uh, essentially, like if you want to put it in the most elementary point possible, uh, a price pool is uh, a directional pool with a given range with a take profit limit and a cover pool uses the same mechanisms but on an opposite end it's like a directional pool with directional mechanisms uh given a, a certain range but with a specific stop loss so that like there isn't too much user risk being incurred in covering a given position on an opposite way so yeah going back to the user flow uh, if I would want to burn a position, let's say like looking at practical terms, if I cover a given position, for example, this wrap uh and die position in UniV3, if I deposit, for example, die to wrap ether, uh, and like the tick uh, for that moves in a favorable way, let's say like uh, the ether moves from, I, I deposit from 1200 uh, die to 1000 die and the tick moves to 800 die. So I've accrued like at least 200 die in profit given the range. So if I want to accrue that profit and not only the fees that are being collected, I would click burn position. Uh, the subgraph plus the backend would parse the position that needs to be burned. That will be taken care of. And then after the transaction is confirmed, we can see that the position burn was taken care of and all the liquidity that was in the position was released plus the profit that would be accrued from a favorable tick movement. Then the only thing I have left to show for the actual user flow we have right now is just a swap for token A. Uh, let's say like, of course, now I have to reapprove. And then after the approval, I could do the swap where I would swap uh, token A to token B. So now after the transaction is confirmed, after quick refresh, because you have to handle this, we would go for a swap. And as you can see, the swap was fulfilled correctly. So um, being that said, uh, okay, this is the rundown of our MVP so far. Uh, in summary, we have all of the UI elements available uh, as of now. We have the general user flow drafted and the contract calls uh, hooked up properly to Gurley. Um, of course, like, uh, it will, it will take some time for us, like have this ready for production. We plan it to be, uh, ready for production, uh, by the time we code freeze for both the audits we're going to do, uh, by that time, we'll also do like a quick setup of all of this on Gurley so that everyone can have sort of, can use the MVP by themselves and get some general, uh, some general thoughts on it. We'll also be taking inputs from end users after we do so, so that like after we do our own rounds of end-to-end -end testing and QA, that will also give users the opportunity to do so and give relevant inputs that could help like uh, just doing some last-minute hotfixes and tweaks leading up to the production launch. And yeah, that is it. Uh, if you guys have any 
questions on the actual MVP uh, or, on, or, or on any functionalities I've displayed, please do so. I will stay here on the call for a few extra minutes so I can uh, handle All right, any questions. Being that, if those are um, I guess no one else has any further questions on the MVP specifically. I think we can wrap up this community call. Um, I thank you all for your time. I, I it's it's uh, really good for us to see that there are people that uh, are really engaged with our project and are eager to see the final result. We're also in our final stages of development, so we're trying to strive as much for like uh, getting everything up to par and as good as it can be leading up to the production launch. Um, your inputs and uh, questions are also very relevant, and I really appreciate those. If by any chance any questions arise uh, post-community call, feel free to drop them either on the stage chat or any of the other um, any of the other chat rooms and tag either me or Alpha Key, and we'd be more than glad to answer those. So yeah, uh, thank you so much for your time. I hope to see you all in the next community call. Uh, I hope it was we were able to like uh, go through uh, a lot of stuff that you guys were eager to see and. I guess that's it. Thank you so much. And I hope to be in touch with you soon. Cheers.